we need to have a clear understanding about what the church is not. What is the church not? If you're taking notes this morning, this is where you'd begin. I think you'll uh, retain information better if you put pen to paper. So if that's you, write this down. The church is not a building. The church is not a building. We oftentimes speak in terms of going to church, or we talk about the church on the corner of Mount Auburn and Coggy Road. But the church is not comprised of sticks and bricks. Right? The church is comprised of believers, blood-bought, redeemed believers. 2911 Coggy Road is not the church. This is just where we, where we assemble. This is just where we meet. This is just where we are housed. The New Testament never refers to the church as a structure, an institution, or a geographic location. Okay, The church is always spoken of in terms of people, more specifically the redeemed people of God. And so the church is not a building, but neither is the church a meeting. The church is not a meeting. We say things like, we're having church tonight, or I'll be at church on Sunday. Now, friends, meetings are important. The writer of Hebrews encourages us, as a matter of fact, we studied this two weeks ago, not to neglect the meeting together, the assembling together, the being together. Meetings are a function of the church, but meetings do not define the church. Okay? Meetings are a function of the church, but they do not define the church. The church is also not a show or a performance Our culture has bought into the entertainment model of church hook, line, and sinker. If you leave a worship service thinking that Jesus is your homeboy, you've left the wrong service. It wasn't a worship service, whatever it was. It's not the church's role to dazzle you with lights and sound. Worship is not a spectator sport. This is not something that you've come to watch this morning. I I hope, rather, I hope that you come to participate and that you come to participate because of who Christ is and what he has done for you. I oftentimes encourage my uh, small group or in in smaller setting type of studies with with individuals, uh, encourage them to come ready to contribute and to consume. Yes, we we assemble together, we meet together, and we learn and we glean and we take things away so there is a sense in which you are a consumer, but we ought to reject wholeheartedly the consumer mentality that has pervaded the church. Okay, So don't just come as a consumer, come ready to contribute as well. That's what we're going to talk about this morning and Sunday, uh, two, two Sundays from now. The church is the pillar and the support of truth. It is not a place of entertainment. The church is not a building. The church is not a meeting. The church is not a show or a performance. And lastly here, the church is definitely not a social network. The church isn't meant to be a place that scratches your social itch. Jesus did not tell Peter, upon this rock I'm going to build a coffee house. That's not what he said. He said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, having said that, yes, we are indeed to pursue deep and meaningful Christ-honoring relationships. But the church is not a social network. 
What takes place here through the week and on Sunday mornings is, is, uh, is light years away from what takes place at the local country club. Well, then, what is the church? What is the church? If it's not a building, if it's not just a meeting, if it's not a show or performance, if it's not a social network, then, then how does the Bible speak about the church? Glad you asked. Here, here are a few thoughts here. This is not exhaustive. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but, but here are a few thoughts. I'll write this down. The church is a living organism. The church is a living organism. As believers, we are alive in Christ. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 6.11. We're alive in Christ. We've been called to grow up into him who is our head. Ephesians 4.15. We're growing, we're changing, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next as we behold him. We are the visual, visual representation of Christ to this world. We're his hands and his feet. The church of Christ, unlike any other gathering of people, is a spiritually living organism. The church is a living organism. Secondly, the church is the family of God. It's the family of God. One of the predominant roles of God in Scripture is that of Father. It's one of His predominant roles. Every person who has come to faith in Christ has been subsequently adopted into God's family. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8. He says, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we call or we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. If you know him by faith and repentance. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Christ is the brother to the believer. In Hebrews chapter 2 verses 10 and 11, the writer of Hebrews writes, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers. Brothers. And so if Christ is our elder brother in the family of God, then we, being united to him, are brother and sister to each other. We don't always treat each other like that. But that's the biblical reality. The church is the family of God. The church is also the bride of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. In Ephesians 5, Paul tells husbands that they are to model their love for their bride after Christ's love for his bride. You're all very familiar. Paul said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present, this is a picture of a future wedding day, by the way, that he might present her, the church, to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We are engaged to Christ and the whole church eagerly awaits the day that he brings us home to glory for the wedding of the Lamb. Speaking of that day, Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice. 
I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robes of his righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as the bride adorns herself with jewels. Isaiah 61.10 All throughout scripture we get this imagery of a wedding day. The church is the bride of Christ. And then lastly, and here's where we'll springboard into our message this morning, the church is the body of Christ. The church is a living organism, the family of God, the bride of Christ, and the body of Christ. Paul obviously thought that the body was the most fitting analogy for the church as it's the illustration that he uses more often than any other analogy or any other metaphor. He uses this idea of a body. The church is referred to as the body of Christ some 40 times in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells us that we were baptized into Christ's body. In the same chapter, Paul says, now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. Uh, there's, there's where we get... Uh, um, Unity and diversity, individuals yet members of it. Individuals yet members of it. The moment that you came to Christ, you were given the Holy Spirit and you were grafted into Christ's body. And so your, your newfound relationship with Christ also means a newfound relationship to Christ's people. To function in this body, God has given you Spiritual giftedness. He's given you a gift. Friends, when you came to Christ, God gave you a gift, a unique, a distinctly unique gift that was not given to you specifically for yourself. As a matter of fact, Paul tells you that your spiritual gifting was given to you for the good of the whole. But you were given a unique spiritual gift that is to be used to serve the good of Christ's people. The good of Christ's people. And so as we turn our attention to our text specifically for this morning, Paul wants us to make sure that we are clear about three very important truths pertaining to living in and serving in the body of Christ. Three very important truths. You can just hear them. You can jot them down if you want to. Truth number one, the body of Christ. Though it is one, one body has many parts. The body of Christ, though it is one, has many parts. Now, some parts are more visible than others, but there are many parts. Well, the second truth, the second thing I think Paul uh, teaches us here in our text this morning is that every part is unique and serves an important function. There is no believer who is more important. Likewise, there is no believer who is less important. God has gifted you uniquely, and even if you're gifting means that you have a, a more visible place in the body of Christ. It does not mean that you have a more important place in the body of Christ. Every part is unique, and every part serves a vital and important function. And then lastly, we'll see that every part of the body depends on the other parts. Every part of the body depends upon the head, first and foremost, Jesus Christ, and then the other parts. With that being said, friends, let me encourage you to stand if you have the ability, and we'll read our text for this morning. 
our text will govern us com- completely to verses 4 and 5, but I'm going to read Romans 12, 3 through 8 so that you get some context. And uh, the, the rest of the verses in this passage will pick up two weeks from now. This is Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, and these are the words that he pens. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another." Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. Given you some thoughts that we've labeled Ecclesiology 101. We've defined, not in exhaustive terms, what the church is not and what the church is. Some of the metaphors that come to us in the Bible that describe this wonderful wonderful collection of the redeemed people of God. And now we'll turn our attention to verses 4 and 5 in Romans chapter 12. Write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, there is a glorious unity in the body of Christ. There's a glorious unity in the body of Christ. Look there in your Bible, find verse 4, chapter 12, verse 4. And look at this first phrase here. For as in one body... We have many members. For as in one body, we have many members. I think the first thing that Paul wants us to understand as it pertains to the church is that we who have been redeemed by Christ's blood are one body. One body. Again, we don't always act that way functionally, but it is the spiritual reality that we who have been redeemed by Christ's blood are one body. Twice in verses 4 and 5, our text for this morning, Paul emphasizes the fact that the church is one body. Paul's use of the body as an analogy or a metaphor to describe the church, it isn't merely just a helpful illustration. It is a vital reality. It's not just that Paul couldn't figure out how, uh, with with what terms to describe uh, things, and so he thinks, oh, body. No, it's not just a helpful illustration. It is a vital reality. In other words, Paul isn't just describing what the church is like so much as he is describing what the church is. The church is a body. And because the church is a body, the church should function like a body. The church, though it is comprised of many individual members who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, is one body. Our union with Christ puts us in union with one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ, 
Why is the analogy of one body so important? And I would ask the question, why is it so important, especially in our day? Why is this particular analogy, that the church is one body, so important, especially or specifically in our day? I think the reason is that we live in a world that neglects unity and exalts individuality. We live in a world, we live in a culture, we live uh, in a day and age that exalts individuality, and in doing so, it neglects unity. While we've been individually chosen, called, and justified, if you know Christ savingly, you have been called, justified, to a joint body. Paul wants us to understand that in thinking uh, and acting strictly in terms of, of individuals, that we need to think and act as members of Christ's body. And that's tough, uh, because your workplace may not function that way. Your family may not even function that way, though it should. Your other spheres of influence, the other clubs that you're a part of, the other associations that you are joined to may not function this way. But we in the body of Christ are to think and to act as members, members of a body. You see, thinking rightly, which is a matter of fact what Paul emphasizes in verses 1 through 3. Uh, we did not read those verses this morning. Uh, but thinking rightly necessitates thinking corporately. Thinking rightly about church necessitates that we think corporately about church. You know, Paul tells us in, uh, in uh, verses 1 through 3, first of all, he says, uh, you know, uh, by the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And then he goes on and he says, uh, but, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't think the same way. How? Let your mind be renewed. And then he goes on in verse 3 and he says, For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Instead, think of yourself according to sober judgment or with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of mercy that has been given to you. Boy, that's a challenge, right? We fleshly, we naturally, in our human selves, like to put our best foot forward, like to protect number one, look out for number one, think the best of number one. But Paul tells us, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And then he goes right into this discussion of our inclusion into the body of Christ. Thinking rightly, thinking biblically necessitates thinking corporately. It's not all about you. You know, we have to tell our kiddos that from time to time, right? But friends, I would submit to you that we need the same reminder. It's not all about you. It's not all about you. How is the body of Christ unified? Well, we're primarily unified by the redeeming blood of Christ. We share in the same divine nature, 2 Peter 1, 4, uh, that we have been uh, given a, a new nature. We share in this divine nature. We, der we derive our spiritual life from the same source, right? Uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, I am divine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we derive our, our spiritual life from the same source. We're unified by essential doctrines that define biblical Christianity. 
Friends, we believe in the Trinity, one God who exists in three distinct persons. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the deity of Christ. We believe in the sinless nature of Christ. We believe in the atoning work of Christ on the cross. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ from the grave. We believe in Christ's future return to judge the world in righteousness and to collect his bride. We believe in the the inspiration, the inerrancy, and the sufficiency of the scriptures. We believe that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. We're united by an essential set of doctrines. Doctrine just means teaching, by the way. An essential teaching that defines biblical Christianity. Paul goes on and he elaborates on our unity in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. He says, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father over all, who is over all, through all, and in all. We just sang about the God who's over all this morning. Again, Paul is just saying the church is an organic whole, one body of believers. One body of believers. It's important that we understand that there is both a reality... The reality is that we're united to Christ and to each other as a body of believers, but there is also a practical sense in which we must pursue or be growing toward unity in the local church. So there's a reality. You are a part of the body of Christ. In a practical sense, though, we're also called to be pursuing or growing in unity within the body of Christ. Now, Growing toward unity does, does not mean that we all link arms uh, and, and that we're all just a, an ecumenical uh, group of people. Ecumenical just means the same direction. We're all doing the same thing, saying the same thing, going the same direction. And uh, a lot of churches subscribe to an ecumenical model of ministry today. And so the local church will link arms with anybody or any organization or any other local church. And we say, hey, wait a second. There are governing doctrines, there are biblical doctrines that define who we are, and we're not just going to link arms with anybody, okay? We're not giving in to that ecumenical mess uh, that runs rampant uh, within local churches today. But Paul did tell the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, he said, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind, and Paul calls us as a, as a group of like-minded believers to have the same mind. Likewise, to the Corinthian church, uh, Paul wrote, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, that you all agree, and that there be no d- 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 uh, divisions among you. Now, that you all agree, that doesn't mean that we're cookie cutter, right? That has made you uniquely, distinctively different from others. He's gifted you uniquely and distinctively different from others. And so not agreeing uh, or to agree on all things doesn't mean that we're just a bunch of cookie-cutter Christians walking around here. I think what Paul picks up on is that there must not be divisions among you. We can't claw each other's eyeballs out as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a body. We're a body. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one is joyful, we're joyful. When one's mourning, we mourn. 
We don't attack one another. We don't go at one another. There's to be no divisions among you. We're to be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Matter of fact, unity among believers was on Jesus' mind as he prayed in the garden just hours before his death, right? And Jesus is praying there for his disciples, and he prays to the Father, 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 unite these believers. Unite them. I pray that they would be one just as you, Father, and I are one. Cause them to be one. Christians are all redeemed by the same blood. We're all going to the same heaven. We belong to the same family. Uh, We're the same children of the same God and Father. There are no ties so tender as those which bind us in the gospel. One body of Christ. One body of Christ. There's no friendship so pure and enduring as that which results from having the same attachment to the Lord Jesus. Christians are indissolubly united, parts of the same body, members of the same family. Maybe some good application here is for you uh, individually and you even in your family unit to think about, consider how, how you can grow as a part of this body. Again, I, I think the, the individualistic culture that we live in uh, oftentimes people can walk into the church on Sunday morning and we come in with this consumer mentality where we sit and it's like, feed me, give me, what can you do for me, what does this ministry do for me? Uh, and then we walk out and we come back again next Sunday with a consumer mentality. Instead of thinking about how, how in the world can I be a part, a functioning member of the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, uh, if, if you are... Um, if you're attuned to the verbiage that we use when, when we bring new members in on Sunday mornings, uh, a part of that is, is will you live in harmony with the body of Christ here at the chapel, and will you labor to be a functioning, participating member? One of the reasons that we are working our way through some of this teaching is, is that we want to call individual members off the sideline and into the game. In any given local congregation, just like ours, of Bible-believing, Christ-loving, God-glorifying, Jesus-exalting believers, some are in the game. Uh, Some are serving, they're ministering, uh, they're using their giftedness, and, and others are on the fringe Others are sitting on the sidelines. Others, others are, are content to come and, and, and to kind of be the spectator on Sunday mornings. This is nothing more than, than a spectator sport for some. And so we want to encourage you to think diligently about how you might be able to come off the sideline and get into the game. That you might be a functioning, participating member of the body of Christ. And I just want to encourage you with the fact that you're a part of a body. Don't think of yourself as an individual. Don't think of yourself as a consumer. Think of yourself as part of a body. When you don't function that way, the rest of the body feels it. All right? There's a glorious unity in the body of Christ. Write this down, number two. There's a unique diversity in the body of Christ. There's a unique diversity in the body of Christ. Look back at verse four there. Verse four. Paul says, and the members do not all have the same function. 
The members do not all have the same function. Okay, Paul has told us already, for as in one body there are many members, and then he tells us that the members don't all have the same function. One of the ways that God has chosen to display his glory is through diversity. I mean, just look outside. I mean, there's, there's green leaves and orange leaves and yellow leaves and brown leaves. Look at the birds. Look at the colors of their feathers. Look at sea life, marine life. And then, and then look at the animals that, that, are, that are in the Sahara as compared to what you might find if you go on a nature walk here uh, uh, in Cape. God has created things that are diverse. Not everything is the same. Just take a gander to your right and to your left. You'll see diversity. We're not all the same height. We don't all have the same eye color. We don't have all, all have the same hair color. We're not all the same build. We're not all the same gender. We're not all the same color. There is a beautiful, wonderful diversity that God in his wisdom and sovereignty has built into creation. And Paul picks up on this idea of diversity here. Within the body of Christ, there are many members who, by God's design, do not all serve the same function or all have the same capacity for that matter. What does this mean? Well, it simply means that God has uniquely gifted you. I'm not talking to the person next to you. I'm not talking about the person two rows back from you. I'm talking about you. God has uniquely gifted you to serve the body of Christ. Off the sideline and into the game. Every believer from the youngest to the oldest, from the newest to the most mature, has a spirit-given ability and I would add responsibility to minister to the body of Christ through the unique, uh, uh, through the unique gifting that God has given him or her. You have. You have a spirit-given ability, but you also have a responsibility Friends, don't, don't cast stones at the messenger this morning, but just, just listen to this for a moment. If God has uniquely gifted you for the common good that you might minister to and serve the greater good of the body of Christ, if God has gifted you that way, then you're a steward of that gift, correct? Something that he has given you, and you are to steward it well. It's like you steward your home well, you steward your finances well, you steward the shepherding of your children well by God's grace and for his glory. But if God has given you a unique gifting that is to be used for the common good of the body of Christ and you are not using it, you're in sin. I mean, there's, 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 not, a, there's not another way to say that. And so repent and get off the sideline and get in the game, right? Don't wallow in it. Don't woe is me. Uh, repent of not using that God-given giftedness. Or some of you may be sitting here this morning. I, I talk with, with young people often uh, who will sit in my office or who will sit in a, newcomer, a newcomer's class, our starting point class, and will say, I, I, I don't even exactly know what my spiritual gifting is yet. Hey, that's okay. How do you learn what your spiritual gift is? Time and exposure. Over the course of time, you minister and you serve in a variety of different areas. And as you're doing so, 
You see, oh, this brings me great joy. Oh, I seem to be doing this well. Other people seem to come along and say, hey, God really seems to have gifted you in this particular area. And so one of the ways you learn what your gifting is is through exposure. Exposure to various ministry opportunities. Exposure to various serving opportunities. And so, hey, that's fine. If, if, if you can't put the, 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 the nail in what your spiritual gift is, that's, that's not a problem. I would say just be busy serving. Just be busy ministering. And the Lord will make clear what is unclear. The Lord will make clear what is unclear. Just as there are various members in the human body, the same is true in the church, the body of Christ. I mean, sitting in this room this morning, there are, uh, there are some eyes there are some ears, there are some noses, there are some tongues, there are some shoulders, there's some elbows, some hands, some fingers, some lungs, some hips, some kidneys, some knees, and some toes. And not everybody is the same. God has gifted us uniquely. Every part is essential, but every part serves a different function. Have you ever considered what your function is to this local body of believers? Have you ever considered that? I want to encourage you to consider that. What is, what is my function within this local body of believers? How has God gifted me and called me to serve? It's important that we all be growing in an understanding of what our unique function in the body is because when you try to do the right thing with the wrong member, it doesn't work very well. It doesn't work very well. Uh, for example, our eyes and our ears are not interchangeable. Your eyes are deaf and your ears are completely blind. Okay, they're, they're, not, they're not interchangeable. Have you ever tried to catch a ball or to strum a guitar with your feet? No, it just doesn't work very well. It doesn't work very well. Hands are indispensable, but they, only, they, they aren't the only efficient means uh, for locomotion. Just like our bodies only function well when each member is doing what God designed it to do, so also the body of Christ only functions well when its members are doing what they were designed to do. The church is built up and each member is, is, uh, is built up when the body is functioning as a whole. As a whole. Let me share with you just a few practical thoughts as it pertains to using your unique giftedness within the body of Christ. These are on your outline. You can just listen or you can jot them down. But a few practical thoughts here. The body only functions well if its members are faithfully submitted to the head. Okay, we, we, we cannot talk about functioning well in the body of Christ if we do not first talk about being in vital union with the head. If you are not growing up into him who is the head, you won't function right in the body of Christ. Are you growing in Christ? Are you meeting with him? Are you walking with him? Are you dealing aggressively with sin? Okay? The body only functions well if its members are faithfully submitted to the head. My second thought here is don't envy the gifts of others. I mean, we're, we, we are prone to size ourselves up by comparing ourselves to other people. Are we not? I mean, that starts early on in life, and it, it is a... It's a the, the, the sin of comparison or sinful comparison is, is hard to kick. 
Uh, but don't envy the gifts of others. On a football team, you may have 40 to 50 men uh, on the roster, but what if everyone decided they wanted to be the quarterback? A correct understanding of the body of Christ frees us from competing with one another and instead frees us to complement one another. To complement one another. Don't envy the gifts of others. And next here, your gifts alone cannot do the work of building up the church. Again, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Think of yourselves uh, with sober judgment. Okay? Your gifts alone, your, uh, I was tempted to say you're not God's gift to the body of Christ, but there is a sense in which that's true. <laughs> uh, so uh, in a sinful sense, okay? Your gifts alone can't do the work of building up the church no part of the body can do everything. God has designed it that way. That's why we need each other. And then my last practical thought here is be thankful for those whose gifts are completely different than yours. Oftentimes we think of our gift as being the, 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 the best gift or our way of serving or the place that we serve as being the best ministry or the, the, the best way of expressing this particular giftedness. Hey, friends, be thankful for those who are, whose gifts are completely different from yours. When was the last time that you encouraged someone in their giftedness? When you genuinely see a brother or sister functioning in a way that appears to be a gifting from God, affirm them and encourage them. Affirm them and encourage them. And then lastly, number three here this morning, there is a harmonizing mutuality in the body of Christ. There's a glorious unity, there's a unique diversity Many members, we don't all have the same function, but there's also a harmonizing mutuality in the body of Christ. Look at verse 5. Paul writes, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Paul uses the same phrase, members of one another, back in Ephesians chapter 4. This is what he says over there. Don't turn there. He says, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members one of another. Well, what does it mean to be members one of another? Well, it means that our union with Christ brings us into union with each other. So that means within the local church, I have property in you and you have property in me. Instead of cultivating a culture of independence, we're to be cultivating a culture of interdependence. I need you, and you need me. I mean, I'm hanging out over here like an ear. Okay, I need you. I need a set of eyes. And if you're an elbow, you, you need a liver. All right, we need each other. I need you, and you need me. We see this sense of functioning together oftentimes in sports, when a basketball or a football player points to a teammate who, who assisted the score, he or she recognizes that apart from you assisting me, I wouldn't have just scored that basket or I wouldn't have just scored that touchdown. You assisted me. We need each other and we need to work together in the body of Christ. Friends, when you and I are growing in grace and when we're using our God-given gifts for the benefit of the body, the rest of the church benefits from God's grace through you. God has graced you with a gift, and the rest of the church benefits from, from God's grace through you. Likewise, if you or I are not growing, we're not serving our God-given function, the rest of the body suffers. A connection to Christ means a connection to each other. 
There's no lone rangers in the church, right? Lone rangers get shot. There's no lone rangers in the church. Each of us belongs to and needs others in the body of Christ. Again, I'll commend you back to week number one, Ben's uh, message from Hebrews chapter 10. Don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We need each other. There is an individuality within the body of Christ because there are many members, all with a different role to play, but there is no room for individualism in the local church. Did you catch that? There is an individuality in the sense that there's many members and in the sense that we all have a different role, we all have a different function, we all have different giftedness that we bring to the table, but there is no room for individualism. Are you committed to Christ? Are you committed to Christ? If you are committed to Christ, you will be committed to his body. You'll be committed to his body. So Paul wants to make sure that we have a sound ecclesiology, that we're thinking right as it pertains to life and ministry in the local church. He wants us to understand that that the body of Christ, though one, has many parts, that every part is unique and serves an important function, and that every part of the body depends on the rest of the body. And so there you have it, okay? There's some concrete foundation. There's the beginning of some walls. And what we'll do two weeks from now is we'll finish this passage. Would encourage you even to look ahead, maybe study ahead a little bit. Uh, In two weeks, what we'll do is we'll begin to uh, hang the drywall, we'll put the carpet in the house, we'll come and furnish it, we'll hang decorations on the wall, and we'll talk about specific giftings how you are to function, how you are to, uh, to live uh, in light of your specific gifting within the local church. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. So, so much here. And uh, we, we want to be functioning well. We want to be serving well. We want to be ministering well to your body, your bride, the church. Help us to do so. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would leave here this morning considering uh, how we might be able to move off the sideline, or, or maybe we're already off the sideline, but we're, but we're not in position yet. We're not ready to play. And uh, Lord, I, I pray that we would be a local church that is, that is increasingly uh, moving its individual parts off of the sideline and into the game, realizing that we are to function together as a body, uh, a well-oiled machine, uh, all uniquely gifted but serving the good of the whole. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for the way that you have gifted us. Thank you that you are the head. Help us to be rightly submitted to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.